This is Books of Titans, the podcast dedicated to the influences of influencers. The books that have helped shape prominent inventors, business leaders, athletes, intellectuals, scientists, and others. We'll talk about what makes these books such classics and at least attempt to have an intelligent discussion about what makes them so important and influential. Hello, this is Eric Rostad coming to you right outside of Nashville, Tennessee. Today I'm going to cover Lords of the Desert by James Barr, Britain's Struggle with America to Dominate the Middle East. This is book 18 out of 52 for my 2019 reading list. This episode will consist of three segments. The first will be a brief introduction to the book, why I read it, and my initial reaction. The second, second segment will be three different ideas that stuck out to me from the book. And the final segment is the one thing, my one key takeaway from this book. So on to this first segment. James Barr is the author. He's currently a visiting fellow at King's College in London, and he studied at Oxford University where he read modern history. He is the author of three books. The first, Setting the Desert on Fire. It's about T.E. Lawrence or Lawrence of Arabia and covers Britain's secret war in Arabia from 1916 through 1918. The second book, A Line in the Sand, is about the Sykes-Picot line. And if you're unfamiliar with that, Sykes was from Britain, Pico from France. They got in a room, pulled out a map, drew a line on it, and said everything north of that is for France, everything south of that is for Britain, and they did this in the Middle East. If you look at a map today, there's, there's a, a, you can see part of that line, and it's a straight line, which, if you think about that, should not ever happen on a map if it's taking into consideration local considerations, uh, even mountains, uh, different people groups, there, there should never really ever be a straight line on a map. But uh, the British and French drew a, drew a line in the map, and, and that has uh, impacted history since. So fascinating book. I've, I've loved James Barr's book, the books. They've really helped me to understand the Middle East. And so when I saw Lords of the Desert was coming out in 2018, I knew that I needed to add that to my 2019 reading list. I did not learn a whole lot about the Middle East in school growing up. So middle school, high school, and college, I learned very little about the Middle East. And in fact, anything I know pretty much comes from after college and comes from from just reading on my own. And so I try to read a few books every year about the Middle East. And I was just looking back at uh, some previous year reading lists and, yeah, I just... try to read different ones, uh, different perspectives, some more from the religious side, some more from the political side, and and how history has has led us to where where we are today in in the Middle East. I read this book from May 14th through the 29th, so I'm recording this May 30th, and so I just finished it a day ago in in 2019. took me 15 days to read it. It's a 340-page book, and so that's 23 pages a day, which is well below where I need to be to get through all my books this year, but just had a lot of life going on during these, these past two weeks uh, to where, where it took a lot longer than, than usual to read the book. Overall time was 11 hours, 12 minutes, and 24 seconds, uh, roughly a minute 59 per page. I purchased the signed copy of this book in London at Waterstones in Piccadilly. And the reason I did so is that it had a little sticker on the front that said signed by the author. And I love books that are signed by the author. So I bought it and uh, glad, I, glad I did. Um, I, I, I 
posted that on Twitter and, and the author James Barr responded and said that there's not many signed ones out there. That, so I'm, I'm, I am glad that I, that I found that one and picked it up. As for the structure of the book, it's mostly a book about the power shift from Britain to America after World War II within the Middle East, basically to, to determine who would dominate the Middle East. There's also some uh, Russian interference. And so if you think that's something new, it's not. It was happening and happening during the time period that this book takes place, uh, 1941 through 1967. We hear some big names in the book, uh, names that should be familiar to you, like Churchill, Roosevelt, Truman, Eden, the prime minister of, of Britain uh, during that time. And we, towards the end of the book, we, we learn about Saddam Hussein and, and some of his early years, and Nasser in Egypt, uh, amongst many others listed in the book covers the creation of Israel, uh, attempted and successful coups in Egypt, Iraq, Yemen, and Syria. So a lot of history, but really from a Western point of view and what Western um, countries were trying to do in the Middle East and a lot of it dealing with, with oil. My initial reaction to the book, uh, I probably wrote the word wow in the next to the, on the, on the pages, next to the, the text. I, I wrote wow probably more times in this book than, than any other book that I've read for this project, project so far. And I, a lot of it is just, it's new knowledge to me and it's, it's shocking. I think a lot of it with dealing with oil, I, I would always hear that uh, wars were started in the Middle East because of oil and that was the only reason. And it just, I, I would always kind of think of that as, a conspiracy theory, or it just just doesn't sound right. But reading this book and, and hearing the comments from presidents, from prime ministers, and and seeing that that largely was the case in 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 a lot of these battles and attempted coups and and all that, it it was for access to oil. And and I'll get into some of these quotes later in the episode. But um, that uh, that was that was pretty. Fascinating, but also quite shocking to me as well. Another thing as part of my initial reaction, um, my wife a few years ago read a book by Peggy Noonan, and she said, you know, you don't really have to worry about conspiracies all that much because politicians are so worried about themselves and their own careers that they just don't have time to to come up with these elaborate conspiracies. And um, I, I liked that, I guess, but this book kind of proves that that sentiment wrong because there are a ton of British conspiracies. There are American conspiracies and dealing with the Middle East. The French and British team up to try to probe one country to fight another country and to initiate a coup to get a leader out so that they can get their what they want done. And it's just conspiracy after conspiracy. And and a lot of these are known. I, I, I didn't know about some of them until reading this book, but they are definitely known in the Middle East and the ramifications of that run to today. And that is, is really the power of this book is it, it helps understand what you're reading in the daily news today. A lot of what led up to the problems that we're experiencing today. As for who should read the book, I, I would say 
people who have a, a general knowledge of the Middle East, if, if this is going to be your first book about the Middle East, it's probably not the best one. And, and only because the author will breeze through kind of major events, which is fantastic if, if you're familiar with it because it puts it all into context. But if you're a newbie, you, you probably need uh, a, a, a different book that's more of an introduction to the Middle East and religion and politics and, and all and, and all of those things combined. This book does not get into to the religious side of things at all. It, it is solely political, and it is solely the West's intrigue and, and maneuvering and all sorts of things in into the Middle East. So if, if you're wanting to, to learn about how different sects of Islam are impacting each other uh, in, in different countries in the Middle East. This is, this is not the book, but if, you're, if you really want to understand the political maneuvering, especially of the British and the Americans and how power kind of shifted to the Americans during this time period, this is a fantastic book. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, welcome and thanks for checking it out. I started the Books of Titans project because I needed help picking out the best books. I found out what some of the world's top performers were reading and started reading those books to the tune of 52 per year or one a week. I set my reading list a year in advance and then share it online. That creates accountability and a connection with others who are reading the same books. I want you to experience the benefits of having a yearly reading list. To that end, the Books of Titans website is stock full of resources to help you find the best books. I've also opened up the website to where you can begin sharing your reading list. This will allow you to share it with others, write reviews, and, sh- and rate each book. I have three different plans, with the first one starting at just $9 per month. Your books will be placed in a visually stunning format that you can share on social platforms. Go to booksatitans.com forward slash mybooks for more details. Now back to the book. This segment, I highlight three different ideas and themes that stuck out to me. And the first of that was of oil and pipelines. In the introduction, the author says, oil and the vast profits that it generated influences almost everything that happens after 1947 in this story. And boy, does it ever. Uh, you're looking at the, the rulers of, of each of these Middle Eastern nations and the wealth that they obtain from oil is, is just astronomical. Uh, the, the ruler of Kuwait, this is in the, the 60s, I believe, is making $1.25 million per week per week. And oil becomes such an important part of the modern economy that everything is, is being done here to, to get access to that from these different Middle Eastern countries. I want to read a quote about um, the Tapline Pipeline, which is from Aramco, which Aramco is, is a company of America and Saudi Arabia. So the oil is from Saudi Arabia here, Arabia here, it goes on this tap line pipeline to the Mediterranean. So here we go. By making Saudi oil cheaper than American oil in Europe, the pipe would ensure that the Saudis would now fuel Europe's economic recovery, while the United States would conserve its domestic oil stocks in case of a war with the Soviet Union. And there were further advantages. By enabling Aramco to increase its output and so earn Ibn Saud more money, the pipe would help mend a relationship that had been damaged by Truman's pro-Zionist utterances. The revenue would consolidate Ibn Saud's position, not just as the ruler of his country, but in the countries through which the pipeline would pass. 
which all now had a stake in the success of the venture. And finally, there was a pleasing circularity to the project. Europe's purchase of Saudi oil would generate profits for Aramco, and in turn, dividends for its American owners, and tax revenues for the U.S. government. The pipeline would thus help the United States recoup the billions that she was about to spend through the Marshall Plan, which the Secretary of State unveiled at Harvard on June 5, 1947. End quote. That was uh, obviously a paragraph I wrote wow next to. I mean, just so much going on in that, in that paragraph. But the importance of oil, how it impacted relations between Saudi Arabia and Ibn Saud, the, the ruler, with the other countries, how money from taxes on that oil helped fund the U.S. government, how all, all of this was helping Europe to rebuild. This oil was helping uh, fuel the machines that, that, were, that was helping Europe rebuild after the war. So much going on as a result of oil. And we see how important it is to the British economy in, in some other quotes. So here's one. This is by Macmillan, who was the prime minister of, uh, of Britain. He said, the stakes, he said, were very high, no less than the economic survival of Britain. For if we lose out in the Middle East, we lose the oil. If we lose the oil, we cannot live. And here's another one with the importance to the British economy. If Nasser, and Nasser was the ruler in Egypt at the time, if Nasser were able to deny British sterling-priced Middle Eastern oil, for a year or two, Britain would exhaust its gold reserves buying oil in dollars. Once the gold was gone, there was no prospect of the country's sterling creditors ever being able to turn their credit into dollars. The sterling area would collapse, and with it Britain's purchasing power abroad and her ability to pay for her defense. In a country which cannot provide for its defense, Kirkpatrick ended is finished. End quote. So again, just the importance of oil, uh, Britain basically saying that they would be finished if they don't have access to oil. So th- this book helped me to, to understand the role of oil and the royal role of oil in the Middle East, but then also how that impacted decisions and coups, leaders, who should be in power, who... America wanted in power, who Britain wanted in power, and uh, all sorts of stuff. Just all these things inter- inter- intertwined. Uh, really fascinating. Second, second thing that stuck out to me, I just wanted to highlight a, a, a few different things that, that I learned in this book. One was um, when battles were being thought up, and, and this is often by like CIA and MI6, the the Brit the British and the Americans would be in in touch about when things would would happen, and they would base it around election time. So there was there was one instance where, um, where the U.S. had asked the British to hold off on uh, a a campaign until after the election so that it wouldn't impact the election. And you know these campaigns there's going to be a, a a number of deaths and and and, and such and. To just think that uh, that they're calling the dates on that based on um, election is pretty pretty fascinating. Uh, another thing I learned about was the British debt, and 
after the war, the U.S. gave quite a bit of money to to Britain, uh, so that Britain could could begin to rebuild. rebuild. And with that debt came obligations, and a lot of decisions were made and not made based on being in debt to the United States. And it just made me think of how things are now. It's kind of laughable when when this, the United States has such high debt now, and and we're the U.S. is kind of a debtor nation to to China. Um, what does that do to to those relations? And and just seeing how how much that impacted the uh, British role in the Middle East and um, and their role around the world, basically because they they not, they now had this debt. Uh, a final thing I learned, and and I I had read about this in in other books, but um, it always kind of comes as a shock, and th- and that's just that the creation of the Jewish Jewish state it was not some altruistic refuge for Jews to go to after the war from from everything they experienced in World War II. It was it was messy. It was political maneuvering. Uh, the the British were in Palestine at the time that that the Jewish state was being created, and. Jews were were fighting against the British. Um, British wanted a, a, a area where they could be in the Middle East, and so that was one reason they wanted the Jewish state there. It wasn't it wasn't altruistic. Uh, just again, so many different things that that were coming together for the creation of of the Jewish state, and and again, not 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 just to to have a place where um, where Jews that were were kicked out of countries during the war could could go. And the final final thing that stuck out to me was public versus private. And what I mean by that is this book James Barr did such a great job of discussing what was happening in in different ways. And and so on one side we're seeing what is being reported in the newspaper. On the other side we're seeing actual things being said by the leaders. And then we're seeing what is actually happening on the ground. And all those things are, are different. And, and even with the news, like news would be purposefully leaked by certain countries into specific newspapers that they knew the other countries were reading. And it would be stories that were planted. They, they might not be true at all, or they might be kind of just ways to communicate with with these other countries and so you just you think about that and and then just the times that you you knew based on the politicians um journals or or the conversations that they're having uh when they're they're talking to the media where it's just straight lies with what they know to what they're what they're saying it's it it just made me think again of how hard it is to to read the news with all of that going on today. It, it's, it's almost better to read a book like this and see how all those things interplay, how, how they work together, as, as opposed to trying to figure out what's, what's going on based on news stories. Because the news is just taking one certain part of that and, and maybe what happened in a, in a battle, but it's not the background, it's not the maneuvering behind the scenes and, and all that. And I know that's hard to, to know for a news story, but just that interplay of, of what was public with what was going on versus what was private uh, in, in all of these different battles and, and coups and all that was, was a really fascinating part of this book. 
Now on to segment three and the one thing, my one key takeaway from this book. And it's this, and this is going to sound quite simplistic, but the key to the Middle East lies in the past. I've got to be reading books like this to understand what led up to our current situation in the Middle East. I've got to understand the political side of it, the resources side, trade, religious side, all of that works together into a very complex situation. I I read a book a few years ago called Return of a King by William Dalrymple, and it's about the British in Afghanistan in the 1800s. Before reading that book, I had no idea that the British had been in Afghanistan in the 1800s. But it was a disaster. It it was it, it was horrible. I and then you have the Russians in in Afghanistan in the 1970s, and that was also a disaster. And then the Americans go to Afghanistan in the 2000s, and you see a lot of the same problems happening that 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 I read about in Return of a King. And history repeating itself, but also these these forces coming together to create a current situation. And that's why I know for myself, I need to be reading two to three books about the Middle East per year, at least, to, to understand what led up to that. And so, very simplistic, uh, one thing, one key takeaway, but um, but I think it's an, it's an important one. And especially, I, I know I have a huge lack of knowledge about the Middle East, um, I would assume a lot of other people do as well, but we're not going to be able to learn about it by just reading the the morning paper. Uh, we're, we're going to have to dig deep and, and understand what led led to these things. And a lot of it happened in recent history. A lot of it happened in the last hundred years, and it involved oil. It involved religion. It involved politics. It involved different countries maneuvering and and trying to create coups and and get their leaders in power. But it's important to know how all that came together. So to recap, this book will definitely help you read the newspaper and understand what is going on now and what led up to that in the Middle East. It's a very helpful book, uh, again, from the political side of things, not, not from the religious side of things. I learned a ton. I was shocked by a lot of it. Uh, a lot of it is embarrassing history if um, if you're American or British, but it's it's important to know about and it's important to see how that led up. If if you're interested, I I would check out James Barr's other books as well. Uh, I've I've learned a lot from from all of them, and uh, this this most recent book is, is another uh, great addition to to his other two. That's going to do it for this episode. Before I sign off, just a reminder that you can share your, your own reading list on the Books of Titans website. Just go to booksoftitans.com forward slash my books for, for more details. You can also follow Books of Titans on Instagram or Twitter at Books of Titans. And if you haven't already done so, you can subscribe to this podcast and find all of our past episodes through iTunes, the Android Marketplace, or your podcast manager of choice. If you're enjoying the podcast, please make sure to give it an effusive five-star rating on iTunes and share your favorite episodes on social media and with your friends. We'll be back next week with another book. Until then, keep reading, keep learning, and keep listening. I'm out. Bye.